Welcome to Biz Takeouts, Biz Community's sound bite-sized news to go, made possible by ACA, Association for Communications and Advertising. I'm your host, Rutendo Nyamuda. Coming up on today's show, Sichaba Motsiela, Chartered Marketer, Managing Partner, and Co-Founder of the Kanzi Group, in conversation with Ernst Kuhlmann, Chief Evolution Officer at Arc8 Global. I think e-commerce in South Africa is not quite where the States and Europe is. So I think there's going to be an evolution around that for people to be confident to, to buy online. I think the second component is where consumers are still very keen on having some kind of, some kind of person understanding their needs and wants. And I think for um, consumer brands that are dealing with the consumer face-to-face, I think they need to try and find all possible ways to, make, to still give that confidence that there's a person listening. It's time for Biz Takeouts. I'm going to get straight into this. And my first question is to Ernst. I honestly don't believe that I've ever heard of a chief evolution officer, but I can certainly say that these last few months, there has been so much evolution that has happened. Can you share with us what has evolved, what's needing to evolve, and how have you and your organization been responding? Thanks, Rutendo. Well, I mean, I think it's moving away a little bit from the traditional, you know, uh, chief executive officer or CEO. And, um, you know, Arcade Global being an evolution firm, uh, we just found it was the most apt way to kind of like, you know, be, be the leader of this business and, and kind of like taking the, 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 the future focused thinking forward. So as a business evolution firm, you know, we guide organizations through business transformation. And yes, you know, there's a lot of evolution that's taken place in the last couple of months, but from our opinion, probably not enough, you know, and I think so much more can be done around that. But our Analytica division, interestingly enough, did quite a bit of trend reports and some um, research in the last couple of months. And there's definitely a couple of themes that have come about in these kind of the major shift within business currently. One of the biggest ones is is around the virtual office or virtual working space. And so many of us now have to adapt by having a setup at office, you know, missing that kind of connection at the, at the workplace and having to adapt to this new world of, of, of virtual communication, virtual meetings and that kind of thing as well. In addition to that, that's not translated into an online experience and online uh, presences where, where companies are now moving into an environment where they try or they need to create a space where they can create gatherings and virtual experiences to not take an, a consumer that is no longer in their in their environments, which they can control, on a journey to still give them some kind of brand experience and product experience, um, and therefore technology obviously plays a huge part in that. That then adds to a, a, another theme that's coming about around creating virtual communities, especially now where you know workforces are no longer in an office space; they don't have you know, coffee breaks together and can chat about the, around the coffee cooler, uh, the, the water cooler, you now find it that, that we now need to have a massive focus around the, the creating of communities around our staffing, our stakeholders, and predominantly our, our consumer base as well. And how do we kind of collaborate and bring them into an environment where we can still have conversation and contact with them and keeping some form of connection? And then I think, you know, the, the huge focus around e-commerce because if you've not been in that environment yet, you strongly, you know, we strongly advise that you need to start looking at how do you bring your, your value proposition into an e-commerce environment. And then this, this whole reality around hyper hygiene. Everybody's, you know, 
probably some people quite quite frantic about it, and some people a little bit blasé. But I think that the focus around hyper hygiene in your environment, your workplace, your protocols, um, what we're seeing around your consumer engagement, that kind of thing is a, a strong theme that's come across. And then this whole focus around global citizenship, around how are you do, how are you as an organisation making decisions for the greater good. It's no longer just profit focused. It's now, you know, how do you make a difference to the world? So, so those are immediately themes that I think that, that we can focus on and what's, what's shifted in the, in the world in the last couple of months. You know, what, what has evolved? Mm. What really needs to evolve is, is looking at this focus around, um, you know, looking at keeping that human connection. And especially one of the key things is organizations that don't have a purpose strongly need to kind of like go back to that and, and define that purpose because it, it will give them a, a different perspective to the, to the, to the stakeholders. Um, staffing, um, um, customers will see them in a different light and hopefully there's an alignment that then attracts a different kind of audience. Mm-hmm. And I think a strong focus as well is, is that technology enhancements are no longer a nice to have but a definitely a, a critical um, necessity for businesses to survive in this current state. What I'm picking up from what you're saying is there is a lot of adapting and not just adapting in the future, it's how quickly can you adapt right now? So Chava, coming to you, in a recent webinar, you've spoken about this kind of new symbiotic relationship. Um, and part of this has been the way we're doing things in a more social way or moving into a more social social isolation space to kind of greater connectivity. We're breaking down barriers, protocols, and privacy. And as Ernst has said, we're now doing business in our homes. A place where we used to just come and, you know, rest is now become our offices. So can you comment a little bit more about this and how it has affected these symbiotic relationships? Yeah, I think one of the things that became quite clear was that we remembered that we are human beings. We are not businesses. We are not entities that do not have a soul, entities that do not have a life. So as you rightly said, even going into the home environment, you are getting very intimate exposure to spaces that typically will have been far away from colleagues. And as a starting point is just to say the primary thing is to make sure that I connect in a way that I can still do business, but at the same time that uh, I have to understand that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm at my home. The symbiotic relationship that I'm talking about is that recognition that you can no longer just demand that people show up at a meeting. You can no longer just ask people to work at five to nine. Is the ability to just understand that now that we all have flexibility, how do we work when our energies are the highest? For example, um, I'm most creative in the mornings, and that's when I'm really doing all my creative work. And as the day starts, I do all the administrative stuff that comes through. One has to also be careful there, as I said, because we are human beings that, because one is 24 seven uh, available and connected, provided that ESCOM does not give you road sharing, um, that does not mean then that you can demand deadlines to be met at unreasonable hours. It should be more about what outputs are we looking at and when can you give it to me. So it allows one then to just basically wake up 
and be on the work and produce the outputs and deliver those outputs versus having to wait. Just because people are now um, available 24-7, we shouldn't abuse that. And uh, remembering, that's why I said at the point at the beginning that we are human beings at first, that we should still be able then to, uh, to not be abusive in how we connect with people, but uh, continue to just to make sure that we are civil, we are civil about it. It also allows us, I guess, in this new relationship to redefine um, how we interact, uh, as Anne said earlier. Because, for example, the workspaces are now coming to our home. How do we get a setup that's still professional, but at the same time shows that, you know, it's not sterile, but it's a little bit professional. And excuse my background today, <laughs> that it contradicts what I've just said to you, uh, that it's not sterile, but at the same time, it's professional enough uh, for work to continue to, to happen. The type of timelines that we are working towards with uh, our agency partners also need to be reasonable, that we do not uh, overextend them. We do have interruptions from our children, for example, they are also online. So we have to share the technology connectivity to make sure that everybody gets their fair share. Uh, and we can't just not appreciate that particular space. Also, we have those responsibilities to to manage at home uh, at the same time. As you rightly said, even going into the home environment, you are getting very intimate exposure to spaces that typically will have been far away from uh, colleagues. And as a starting point is just to say the primary thing is to make sure that I connect in a way that I can still do business, but at the same time that uh, I have to understand that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm at my home. The sympathetic relationship that I'm talking about is that recognition that you can no longer just demand that people show up at a meeting. You can no longer just ask people to work at five to nine. Is the ability to just understand that now that we all have flexibility, how do we work when our energies are the highest? For example, um, I'm most creative in the mornings, and that's when I'm really doing all my creative work. And as the day starts, I do all the administrative stuff that comes through. One has to also be careful there, as I said, because we are human beings, that because one is 24 7 uh, available and connected, provided that ESCOM does not give you road sharing, um, that does not mean then that you can demand deadlines to be met at unreasonable hours. It should be more about what outputs are we looking at and when can you give it to me. So it allows one then to just basically wake up and be on the work and produce the outputs and deliver those outputs versus having to wait. Just because people are now um, available 24-7, we shouldn't abuse that. And uh, remembering, that's why I said at the point at the beginning that we are human beings at first, that we should still be able then to, uh, to not be abusive in how we connect with people, but uh, continue to just to make sure that we are civil, we are civil about it. Are these conversations you've had with um, employees, with staff and with agencies, because sometimes there is a disconnection between the management at the top who assume that this is where everyone is uh, without it being articulated or expressed? Mm. Yes. <clears throat> Interestingly, the so-called people at the top are the ones that are having to quickly upskill themselves to deal with multiple technologies at the same time. Mm. Because in the past, it would have just been a simple report coming through, one meeting at a time, or you have your entire exco in front of you, and then you ask those penetrating questions. 
Now you have to learn how to work the technology. Mm. And the people that are actually used to multiple devices, multiple platforms, all working at the same time, are used to this environment. So it's the people at the top that are actually having to, uh, to learn how to, to use the technologies and be effective. And, and so you're finding the same thing in your spaces, the upskilling of the communication or the softer skills rather within um, organizations, within your organization. So, so what we found quite interesting is that I think the immediate adapting to this new environment was for many, many organizations quite um, difficult. And I think because they were very traditionally thinking, you know, these leaders and organizations that, that measure performance based on the hours in the office, not the output of the individual. And now they, they had to seriously adapt the way that they start looking at the, the, the talent within their business and how they now measure performance and output and, and value. What's interesting though is, is what, what, what is the norm, what is almost the foundation to this is, is it's still business as usual. And I think currently considering our economic climate, we need to be even more focused on business as usual. It might not be set in a new norm, in a new normal, but it's still business and focusing around that. So a couple of the things that, that, that I think people need to be aware of is, is making sure that they've got the right setup. You know, do they have the connectivity? Do they have the right technology? Are they logged in? Can they do what they need to do? Do they have right access, um, access and so on? Um, and then I think another part of that just on the setup is also ergonomics. What you're finding is people are now no longer having a quick lunch, whatever else, they'll be parked in front of their, their laptop <coughs> or computer eight hours straight. And then they're complaining of back pain and aches and things like that. So I think the well-being of the employee working at home or that team member and the ergonomics need to be considered as well. You know, the regular stretch breaks and, and so on, you know, drinking enough water. Those are stuff that, that I think organizations need to be aware of. In addition to that is making sure that, like we said, you know, having the right professional backgrounds and those kind of things. And if they can't do that, then create a professional image that can be used as a virtual background that people feel confident enough that that becomes a display of, where you, of who you want to be. Then in addition to that, I think dress code is becoming even more of a, of a focal point because you're, now, you know, you're still representing your organization. You're still representing a brand. And so many people will blame connectivity by not switching on their laptop or their, 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 their cameras. But at the end of the day, they haven't even brushed their hair. You know, they're sitting in hoodies um, and, and, and track suits. And I think it's almost bringing that level of professionalism back Although you're working from home, you still need to kind of like, you know, be in there and be focused and do what you need to do. And then the last pillar to that is then how does your processes shift? Mm -hmm. If you no longer can, can go to a client to drop off a contract and let them sign with you at the boardroom table, how are you adapting your processes and protocols to allow for a virtual engagement? Um, I think salespeople are probably finding it some of the hardest to do at the moment because they can't, they can't go and build that relationship and, and be in a client's environment and understanding the true nuances and essence of some of their challenges. And then all of the, the kind of processes that go to that to, to land the deal is now all over the place. And I think it's one of the one of the more critical components as well as making sure that your processes allow for deal making, even when you're not in front of the client. Mm. And Ernst, can you chat to me a bit about the kind of consumer side? So you've spoken about, you know, the engagement between within organizations um, and within cl with, uh, among clients, but how has that uh, adapting to consumers and consumers' needs, how has that changed for you? You know, I think, I think it's, 
it's it's going to evolve even more so. I think there's been a huge shift at the moment where a lot of consumers are are too nervous to engage. I think e-commerce in South Africa is not quite where the states and Europe is. So I think there's going to be an evolution around that for people to be confident to to buy online. I think the second component is that where consumers are still very keen on having some common some kind of person understanding their needs and wants. And I think um, you know for 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 um, consumer brands that are dealing with the consumer face to face, I think they need to try and find all possible ways to make, to still give that confidence that there's a person listening. I think so many times that a brand is quick to to engage chatbots and and that kind of AI to to communicate with consumers because they know that at some point if they need to go into a, a call center or into a, a help desk or something that there's a person to do that. But now that they don't have that opportunity. I think we need to invest in making sure that the, the consumer still feels that the brands are listening to them. Mm. And there's lots of technology of how you can do that. There's, there's API that can plug into you know, your social media platforms that takes it through to WhatsApp and so on. And then interestingly enough, um, from the research that we've seen, consumers will very comfortably share personal information on a WhatsApp because it's such a comfortable medium to communicate with. They'll share their frustrations, They'll, you know, they'll, 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 they'll um, approve certain things on a WhatsApp platform. And I think businesses can comfortably shift into that kind of environment to, to give that kind of just one nudge forward to say, we're here, but we can talk on a platform that you feel more confident about instead of, let's say, a messenger or any other kind of platform. Mm. So, Chava, you recently addressed re-looking at contracts between clients and agencies and removing those punitive measures. What did you mean by punitive measures or removing the punitive measures and why is it important that we start having these discussions at this specific time? When you put contracts in place, usually you will have had a view into the horizon during the period of that contract. And almost 100% of all those contracts when they were signed, we didn't have this pandemic. So it was never a consideration. All the things that we have discussed now around where people work, the environment in which they work, expectations on delivery, what can they deliver, were not in place. Mm -hmm. Businesses were not shut down. Businesses had very predictable uh, revenue, whatever their business objectives were. Everything was predictable. That's why it makes sense to put certain contracts in place. Everything has changed. And when things change, so should we look even at those contracts. Uh, because those contracts then allow us to now say, let's make sure that we do not put ourselves in a corner where we continue to uh, do what we are doing before the pandemic, even though it has come through. So punitive measures, things like if you don't deliver on time, uh, this is basically what it means. Things like I'll only pay you uh, 30 days, 60 days after the delivery of whatever, all those things need to change. Things like I need the following resources to be working on my business, almost specifying the people, expertise that you need on your business, specify. Now, when revenue goes down and then you've got the marketing budgets now going down, that goes through to the agencies. They can no longer afford to keep all those resources that you specified in the contract in place to do on the work that you're actually not even breathing in because your business has shut down. Say, so let's go there and actually look at it and be reasonable around what is to happen. The other thing about contract is that it puts you into a tunnel 
at the moment, people have to be innovative. They have to come up with new things. How do I allow people outside of those contracts to come with ideas that can help businesses to actually get out of the, the challenges that we have? Does do you allow it to come through versus saying, our contract and our scope of works is X and just stick to it? It just does not make sense. You need to go back and say, how do we change the scope of work? Or how do we increase the scope of work? How do we have that conversation so that it makes sense that the contracts and the relationships that we have are actually meaningful and can add value. And together, agencies and the marketing department, how do we package solutions to go to the CEO or leadership to say, we are the ones that are more likely to be, well, that are more connected to the consumers. And here's a solution that actually works and then do consider it. And you don't want a CFO or somebody in procurement telling you, no, 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 this one has got to go through this particular channel when you're actually providing a solution to help the business yeah. to trade, to connect, to do what it needs to do. So it's in that context that I say, yes, contracts manage relationships. But first of all, we are human beings. We understand that uh, mm-hmm. the context has shifted and therefore we need to adjust. And if we do not adjust, we will become irrelevant as both parties. No wonder then when you get into the boardroom, then we may not be able to add value. I'd like to add something. I think, you know, as Sitchava said, that, you know, the, the, the contract governs the foundational kind of fundamental aspects of the relationship and, the, and, the, and the, the, the contracts, you know, the way things are being done or needs to be done, the expectations and service deliveries. But I think there's, that there's a, a relationship, like you said, above and beyond that. And I think, you know, if we were just opening up conversations, because a client literally just pulling the plug on an organizer, on, a, on an agency and saying to them, we just can't afford you, can sink an agency in its entirety. And I think it's so critical to rather just have human conversations and saying, guys, we can't afford X, but we can potentially still afford Y. So what can we do to keep the relationship alive, the value proposition alive, because the more successful you are, the more successful we are. And, and that's a kind of like a, a mutually beneficial relationship. And I think it's so critical for people to be able to get into that authentic conversation. Because if they can't do that, they, you know, it's just going to have such a massive ripple effect. And I think it's so critical to be able to do that and, just, and, 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 and face the brutal facts, but have the conversations and then find, like Sachaba said, the solutions to address those instead of just, well, this is the way it is. Yeah. My next question is to both of you, um, and it's pretty much getting to the heart and the essence for this discussion, um, and for these discussions collectively, uh, and there's no better people to have these conversations with than marketeers such as yourselves, uh, because essentially the advertising and marketing and communications industries have the ability to create these new narratives, have the ability to place these stories and to change society in a way that perhaps other industries aren't able to do. And so where for both of you is the value in being human, in this shared humanity? Why for you is the advertising and marketing industry more relevant than ever in our economic conversations in our country at the moment? Yeah, I think I wanna give that one a big shot because for a long time as marketers, we have always, and creative agencies um, being the closest to the consumer and the closest to the consumer needs. And we have been the voice of consumers inside organizations to say, 
Um, we believe that we have an opportunity in the marketplace to you know, make business sense and to make money. At the same time, we have an opportunity to solve a proper consumer problem in the marketplace and bring that in. So we've always been the ones that communicate uh, to business on behalf of consumers. And now, more than ever, we even have to even be closer to the consumer because everything is changing. Their uh, needs, their buying patterns, uh, their context, and how they shop, everything is changed. And we then need to just make sure then that we really listen, not just with our heads, but also with our hearts, mm -hmm. because it no longer makes sense to continue to sell a product at a particular price point to a consumer. When we know very well that things have shifted in the times when they never used to buy as much toilet paper because they were never at home. Now they have to buy toilet paper. What does the pressing of toilet paper look like? Or some of the goods that uh, they were sort of like casually buying and how does that look like? Insurance products. Yeah, I'm no longer on the road all the time. How do I have a conversation uh, to make sure that we adjust the dynamic pricing for insurance? What does that look like? So I think because we have been closer to the consumer, as marketers now, we have even more responsibility, not just to extract insights, but to make sure that we connect the business with the consumer's mind and heart and really be empathetic be in their shoes and be able to then say, we have to package our solutions differently because the consumer where they are is quite changed. I mean, take a simple thing like just a media strategy that considers uh, the context in which the consumer is, how you define that particular consumer, the channels that you communicate and the content that you carry through. If you were to take content that's upbeat into an environment that you know that the peak of the pandemic is about to hit. How do you talk to that? You know, how do you make sure that you are sensitive to the environment? And it is us as marketers that can bring that heart, that feeling into the business, in the communication space so that we make sure that then it sits comfortably in the environment, despite the challenges that, that we have. And that's why I'm feeling that uh, we really need to step up as communicators to help businesses to be in step, working alongside the consumer so that uh, we don't jar in what, in what we do. Mm. Essentially, uh, I love what you said about placing the consumer at the center and the heart of everything you do. Um, that was really great. And Ernst, for you, what are your thoughts on you know, the relevance of the advertising and marketing industry in our current economic conversations and climate? I think as an industry, our role is to communicate to the consumers. It's, it's, it's what we do for a living. It's what we kind of like, you know, it's our passion and our focus. And I think one of the biggest drivers should be to humanize the brands, is to kind of like make it accessible and relatable for the consumer to be able to, to connect with that brand and so that the, the consumers know that the brands care and that they understand what they're going through instead of a forced kind of um, campaign, if, you know, if, if, I, if I say it in so many words. That then drives a stronger human connection. And, and I think that's what everybody's yearning for at the moment. Um, being in isolation, being afraid, being nervous, being all of these, you know, the uncertain times, being affected by the economy. I think that there's such a huge opportunity for, for, for brands to, to try and, and aim to have that communication and that connectivity with their consumers. And then ultimately focus and to create and share, you know, hopeful stories. 
It's all, there's so much doom and gloom around us. We all understand the news is telling us this daily. Um, and you just have to go on some social media platforms to see what's happening in the world. And you don't need to ask. There's such a beautiful opportunity to be focusing on good news only. Mm. You know, um, what, what, what is, the, what is the, the, the exciting things? What's the silver lining? What is happening in, 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 in certain entities and so on that, that we can just shift that narrative away from the doom and gloom? And, and if we have so much access and power to, 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 to change that communication, then I think we should, we should grab every opportunity. Mm. Yeah, I think just to finish off what Enzo was saying, one of the things that I found attractive when I was speaking to Arc8 Global was and the, the living in the future. So already the conversations that we have with Enzo is about post this, what type of drama will people have come through? And are there programs that will allow parents to deal with the drama. Uh, you can imagine for four months, you have the skill, but you don't have the opportunity to use your skill to earn an income. And you have all these anxieties. What does that look like when it's coming through? Where is your self-confidence? What does it mean if you have change and go and pick up a new skill, the insecurities that you have? What does that look like? Are we already putting in place the type of solutions that will allow people to deal with that uh, drama, and then after that, this hyper connectivity that we have all suddenly have had to go into. How do we adjust? And those are the softer human things that will make sure that how we interface with technology allows humans to still be humans, but appreciating that there could be all these trauma things. And when we have those discussions, it's putting those in place so that when we come out, when people say, oh, I'm traumatized, we say, relax, this is how. And then therefore allows people to get back to a new reality that have reset where they are because the old reality has been reset. But that does not mean people are not going to be anxious about what that means like. And we're already talking about putting in place solutions like that for, for consumers and, and people in general in business. My final question also to both of you, and I'll start with Ernst. What opportunities does South Africa have on the world stage right now? In your opinion, what assets do we have and how are we going to make the most of them? Right, so I think one of the most powerful kind of like uh, gifts that we have as a nation is, is our resilience. Um, you know, and, and, our, and just by, by nature of our culture, our diversity and everything else that we have, um, I think in one of your previous discussions, it was mentioned that South Africa is probably one of the most creative nations in the world. And I think, you know, we, we, we fall back on humor. When things go bad, we've got jokes coming out, you know, um, state of the nation addresses. There's all kinds of things, and the, and the nation kind of adapts through creativity. And I think there's a beautiful opportunity within that by, by applying that creativity to the way that we do things. I also think because of our... Um, our culture and our diversity, there's an authenticity about who we are as a nation. And I, I think, you know, coming back down to having that purpose and, a, and, a, and a, um, um, a sense of authenticity allows us to get back to basics, you know. I think there's such a huge focus at the moment for us to go and say, okay, how do we, how do we communicate? How do we create that connectivity and connection with the consumer base? But I also think, which is, which is something that we could focus on is, is looking at internally and how do we also ignite our brands and our purpose within our workforces to turn them into our brand ambassadors and the people out there communicating the cool, good feeling stories about what's happening in the world, right? 
Um, and I think there's such a beautiful opportunity in, in just being authentically South African in the way that we tackle communications and brand things. Mm. We are indeed an undoubtedly very resilient nation indeed. And Sachaba, in your opinion, what opportunities does South Africa have on the world stage right now? And how do you feel we need to make the most of them? Yeah, I think if we look at the end of uh, apartheid, uh, the dawn of the new democracy, uh, the rainbow nation, that type of sense of hope that uh, South Africa provided for the world. We have a window like that, where we have seen how devastating the pandemic has been to Africa in particular, to black people in particular, to disadvantage to the poor. South Africa is one of the most unequal countries in the world. We have an opportunity now to say, now that has also been put right in our face, how do we use the purpose of brands, purpose of businesses, to show the rest of the world how we can come out of it, utilizing the creativity that Enns has spoken about, our humanity, our Ubuntu. Using that to basically say, we're gonna come out as a country stronger, closing that gap between the haves and the nots, closing that gap between the previously disadvantaged to the whatever, because it is clearly there and leading that into Africa and the rest of the world so that we can provide them innovative solutions going forward. It will be a pity if, for example, we do not use the pandemic to advance businesses that are owned by black women, for example. Mm. Because now we are saying we are building from whatever was there, who's available. As we build, let's make sure that we build together and not just build with the people that we have always been with. We have opened it up because everybody has to move up and moving up might mean let's move together with the businesses that in the old context were being left behind. But now this has been an equalizer, especially because we're all connected at a human level to say, let's use that as a platform. And I think South Africa has an opportunity to show how that can be and as we move forward. And that's a wrap on today's show. Biz Takeouts. Take it where you like it, when you like it, how you like it.